welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I am your host, Alex Klein, and this is the 101st episode of Comics and Cinema. We are starting anew. Uh, after last, uh, the last, I was going to say last week's episode, but I literally recorded that episode uh, like two hours ago. So technically, we're still here today, but I wanted to get some prep work done on some of these because I watched Do the Right Thing last night and uh, really wanted to talk about it, but obviously felt that the uh, entire situation that's going on right now in our country uh, takes a little bit of precedent to that. But uh, without further ado, we are back, and uh, in a sense never left, because uh, I want, uh, and if you haven't, I would highly recommend listening to episode 100 of the podcast, uh, titled Black Lives Matter, because they do and always will. Uh, but what I, I'm excited to announce, and I sort of talked about it briefly on that episode, and as you can tell, this one's a little more off the cuff because I did not write a script for this episode, but uh, I talked about more structure, more involvement in the podcast going forward that I was really excited to share some things. That's because I am. Guys, going forward, this podcast, I'm hoping is going to become a lot more interactive with everybody in terms of actually being able to sort of participate in a sense uh, to the movies that I'm watching. And the reason or where I came to this because of HBO Max. So for those of you that weren't aware, HBO Max came out last week. Uh, very sort of quiet in introduction into the streaming wars. I just wrote a brief article about the, I think is the guy who... Um, started HBO Max at Warner Brothers, uh, he said, I, I don't call it a war, it's just this is the new way of doing things, is that they're streaming giants now. And uh, they're not lying. So HBO Max is filled to the brim with movies. Now for any of you out there who have an HBO Now subscription, your subscription sort of automatically updated to HBO Max. If not, I would highly recommend subscribing, and the reason I, I would do so, and I'm not being paid, I wish I was, HBO, I hope you're listening, please send me some money, but uh, it, it, the library is insane. I've heard some complaints about there not being uh, HD or 4K or Dolby, okay, uh, valid complaint, but for the amount of content that is within this, uh, you can't really complain that much, so, uh, and I, I, I should have pulled it up sooner, but I wanted to discuss briefly the uh, some of the great things that are on HBO Max. And so as I was doing so, I don't remember when it hit me, but I realized that a lot of these episodes, I'm talking about multiple movies, I'm talking about TV shows, this, that, and the other, and half the time it's stuff that either I have in my own cataloged collection or something I saw on TV, whatever the case may be, I don't ever even give an indication as to how you can watch it unless it's like a Netflix movie. So going forward, what I am going to be doing, the plan, is uh, I will. episodes are going to continue. Uh, they may even continue more frequently, but all of them are going to be on <clears throat> and discussing movies that are available on streaming services. So I will call out what streaming service it is. I know a lot of people have most of the streaming services or one or the other. Um, but the, the point of that being, I want you guys to be able to watch the movies that I'm watching, especially now that HBO Max is out, because 
Uh, and here's just a small sampling of HBO Max if you were still on the fence. 2001 A Space Odyssey, all of the Alien movies, Alita Battle Angel, Aquaman, Apocalypse Now, Batman, Batman Forever, Batman Returns, Batman and Robin, uh, Black Klansman, Blind Spotting, Breaking the Waves, uh, Castle in the Sky. Uh, basically, all of the Studio Ghibli movies are on here. All the Harry Potter movies are on here. Uh, all, all of the Godzilla movies are on here, which leads me to all hundreds, I would comfortably say hundreds, of Criterion movies are on here. So if you guys remember, I don't know what episode it was on, but I had said that I wanted to start a monthly Criterion movie club where I watch, because I have a ton of Criterion movies in physical form, and they're amazing because they give you a great opportunity to analyze the film, which is what I'm always trying to do. They come with booklets, with uh, um, essays, and behind-the-scenes extra special features. While not all of that is available on HBO Max, the movie is. So please let me analyze the movie and share that with you. Let me share with you what is within those booklets and special features because I think there can be some really great discussions to be had around that. And uh, and they're all on HBO Max. So all of the ones that I was wanting to watch and share with you guys, uh, but I, I don't even know what I was planning to do, convince you to buy the physical copy. Now they're on HBO Max. Uh, my brother and I were planning on re-wa- not rewatching for the first time watching all of the Friday the 13th movies because we bought them on Blu-ray. Those are all on HBO Max now, so you guys can come along for the ride. I bought from Criterion the 15-movie Godzilla collection of Toho uh, Godzilla movies, those are all on HBO Max, so you can come on that journey with me. All of the uh, Nightmare Bef- on Elm Street uh, movies are on here. The Lord of the Rings movies are on here. I'm, I'm not kidding you that there are almost every single movie that I already owned is on here, plus so many others that I've been wanting to watch for a really long time didn't know how I could watch them without, you know, without paying for them. And yeah, I get it. I'm paying for HBO Max, but, uh, but it doesn't feel like I am with the amount of content that's in here. I'm looking Samurai Jack, Scary Movie 3, Seven Samurai, Shazam, uh, Sky High, uh, Solaris. Oh my goodness. Tom and Jerry, True Detective. Are you kidding me? Us, Watchmen. Uh, it's just, but list just goes on and on. I have, I have a scrolling list. So, uh, that it goes for Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus, and Amazon Prime. So those are all of the streaming services that I have. I have already handpicked and put into my watch list not only all of the movies that I own and want to rewatch. Uh, so now that I you know I know that they're on the streaming service, so you guys can watch them. But also a bunch of movies I've been really wanting to watch, and you guys can obviously watch with me. So uh, think of this now uh, as the comic book club, but also the movie club. And so in regards to that, I stand by what I said last time too. I've recently bought uh, uh, when Marvel had their sale of free graphic novels, and someone some that went on sale. I bought a bunch of them. And they were free, but I spent probably like 10 bucks and I have like 20 of them now. One a month, that's going to last at least two years just for the comic book side of it. And with these movies, that's literally going to be endless. So what is the plan going forward, Alex? Well, every month I, and then this is where you, you're going to learn, 
you guys hopefully learn a little bit about me during each podcast. But I've mentioned in the past of my OCD tendencies, uh, sort of my get-or-done type attitude, and I did that <laughs> this weekend. I uh, <laughs> I went on uh, a spree, if you could say, I suppose. I documented the release dates of every single movie. Uh, hundreds of movies, uh, ones that I'd been wanting to rewatch, ones that are on HBO Max, the Criterion movies, to find out which movies have anniversaries, which years. So I did it all by hand. I did it on a ca- on one calendar uh, for all of the years, and then I transferred just the ones that have big milestones in 2020 onto a separate calendar. And uh, so the plan going forward, with all of that in mind, is every month. I will have one podcast where I, uh, which is going to be the comic book club, as I announced last uh, during the original Sin podcast. That is going to be Civil War and the Road to Civil War uh, for June, which is Civil War one through seven from Marvel, and then the Road to Civil War is uh, it's and you can I would recommend just listening to maybe the last few minutes of the original sin podcast because it's a it's some some spider-man comics a new avengers comic and some fantastic four comics in uh, road to civil war all all worth your time 100 percent. but um so there'll be one of those a month and then once a month we will be having a criterion club so once a month i will be uh watching and hopefully you will be watching with me a criterion movie that I will then dive deep into during the episode discussing both the movie, all the special features that are on my Blu-ray, and also the booklet that comes with it. So, um, for example, today uh, we're going to be talking about Do the Right Thing. This is a bonus episode. This is not June's Criterion movie. This is just the Criterion movie that I watched with my wife last night and just happened to be um, you know, a perfect tie-in to what's going on right now. But the treat is that movie came with a 100-page booklet of Spike Lee's journal that he wrote before doing... Um, do the right thing and so i've got a bunch of tabbed sections in here that i want to discuss in terms of the movie uh and you know how it translates to the current day so i'm hoping to bring and enhance the listening of these podcasts by talking about movies that that matter i mean all of all movies matter but the criterion movies are a cut above uh they're going to be they'll be foreign movies they will be uh, old movies. They're, it's just fun. It's, it's going to be a really good way to expand your horizons, expand your mind, learn about a movie that you've never seen before, most likely. And again, they're all on HBO Max. So when I recommend them, you're not going to go, great, I have to go buy this movie or I have no idea what he's talking about. Go on HBO Max and press play. And there it is. There you go. Silent movies, all kinds of stuff. So that's going to be once a month. And then either as many times as I can, or at least once a month, I will be doing a movie night club or just a movie club. Whatever you want to talk about, it's essentially just a movie podcast. That will be a different movie. It won't be a Criterion movie. It will be just another movie that's having a really big anniversary. So I haven't decided which ones to do yet, 
but I'm in terms of you know sharing this with you. Here's where we're at. In June of 2020, Jaws is celebrating its 45th anniversary, coming out in 1975. I will be doing a podcast on Jaws because I've not seen that movie in a really long time, and I'm and it's on HBO Max. As are the three sequels, which I will be watching as well. I don't know if I'll talk about them, um, but maybe I will, just because I think that'd be fun to have a mega Jaws uh, podcast. Uh, but that's one, and that's one I'm really looking forward to, so that's for sure happening. Uh, we've got Batman Begins uh, by Christopher Nolan. That is celebrating a 15-year anniversary in June, June 15th. Jaws is June 20th. Uh, so, And again, this is I, I think is going to be a, a kind of a way for, for us to start getting excited about things again. Uh, I don't want to detract this from any... I don't want to detract the conversation from what's going on right now in the country... There are a lot of things going on, a lot of terrible things. There's a lot of change that is going on right now. But I want to provide you guys with a little bit of escape as well. And I think movies and comics are the best way to do so. But part of that as well is something to look forward to, something exciting to look forward to. So when we were you know, sitting around watching Avengers Endgame on the one-year anniversary, how cool is it going to be? for? And, and again, whether I talk about it or not, I'm going to tell you about these every month so that you can add them to your calendar as well and watch them with your friends and family. Listen in if I've got a podcast too, but I just want you to be aware that there are things to celebrate each month when it comes to cinema. So again, June 15th, Batman Begins, 15 years. Wow. Um, That's not on HBO Max, nor is it on any streaming service, I believe. So like I said, I don't think I'll do that one, but I, you know, it's always worth a watch. It's a great movie. Uh, we've got Dick Tracy, which I haven't seen, but is on HBO Max. My brothers really liked it growing up. I never watched it. Uh, that is celebrating a 30-year anniversary, also on the 15th of June. Dick Tracy. Uh, June 16th, Batman Forever, which it has been forever since I have seen that movie. It is celebrating a 25-year anniversary on June 16th. Uh, so I think that'll be one of the ones that I do as well. Uh, then we've got, oh, uh, Kelly's Heroes. Uh, if any of you were into war movies, uh, Kelly's Heroes is, uh, I think Clint Eastwood is in it. I have it on Blu-ray. It is not on any streaming services, but that is celebrating a 50-year anniversary on June 23rd. So any of you war fans out there, check that one out. Uh, also, for any of you out there for a little more bizarre types of movies, uh, this is a Criterion movie that is not available streaming anywhere, but Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is also celebrating a 50-year anniversary uh, on the 17th. That is not to be confused with Valley of the Dolls. Uh, Beyond Valley of the Dolls is a, a much more, I, I guess, I think it's rated NC-17, I'm not sure, but it, it's a good movie. It's definitely an interesting movie to watch, but definitely don't watch that movie with your kids um what else do we have oh yes i really think i might do this one chicken run any of you remember that from dreamworks the animated movie that is celebrating a 20 year anniversary holy cow on june 1st wow uh i still remember going to see that movie in theaters yeah i guess i would have been nine man time is flying uh we're not going to talk about that anymore and then uh, War of the Worlds with um, uh, Tom Hanks is celebrating a 15-year anniversary as well on June 29th. 
So uh, that might be one that I do. Uh, again, I'm going to figure it out because uh, obviously I don't want to stretch myself too thin. Uh, none of my other responsibilities in my life have changed whatsoever. I'm still going to school. I'm still working. Um, so this is all purely a hobby of mine. Uh, but I want this to be something that we can start doing together because I, I, I really just want to connect with you guys and really start getting everyone to appreciate these films. And so this will be easier because I know most of these movies are good movies, or at least good movies for discussion, versus having a podcast surrounding a movie I've never seen that I only talk five minutes about, so I add five other movies to my list. This is going to make things hopefully easier for everyone. You only got to focus on one film at a time. Um, So those are the movie movies. Um, Along with, again, Do the Right Thing Today, which, like I said, is not available to stream anywhere for free that I've looked again all these movies you could stream anywhere you want you just have to pay for it um but but they're not available for free like the other ones so uh but I'm going to be talking about that today uh but the the criterion movie for June and the reason and I'll explain here when I've why I've chosen this but it is Cinema Paradiso 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 uh it's an Italian movie uh saw it a, a long time ago probably like uh, 3 or 4 years ago and really wanted to rewatch it. I actually bought a DVD that I found at Goodwill for a dollar that actually has like a director's cut. But it is on HBO Max. Uh, and that is uh, celebrating a 30-year anniversary this year. Now, there are obviously a lot of movies that were celebrating anniversaries um, before I realized any of this, before I went to all the work of documenting this. So I want to spend this episode as well calling out a couple of those for those of you. Obviously... Uh, it's the the whole year, right? The celebration should be for the whole year. So you don't have to watch these movies the day they came out or the month they came out, but it certainly is more special, right? So I'm going to call out some of the ones that came out from uh, from January to June. And uh, hopefully, hopefully some of these are going to make you go, man, that's crazy. Um, Ichabod and Mr. Toad, 70 years. Woo, thank you for your service. Uh, Diabolique which is going to be one of the criterions we watch, but that's celebrating 65 years. Um, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, that will also be one that we're going to do this year, but that one celebrated in February, 55 years. Cinema Paradiso was also fe- uh, February. MacGruber, 10 years. Can you believe it? I still remember going to see that movie in theaters. I saw it three times in theaters with my family. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, also in March, uh, 40 years. 40, Wow. In April, as I'm sure you're aware, Iron Man 2 turned 10, Revenge of the Sith turned 15, Dinosaur turned 20, and then in May, Friday the 13th turned 40, 40 years old. I did not realize that was this year. So again, that is going to be in October. We're going to be doing a lot of Friday stuff for celebrating. Uh, And then also Akira Kurosawa's Dreams celebrated a 30-year anniversary in May. Um, there are a lot on here though. I, I'm not kidding you. I am not exaggerating that I have planned out movies and comics. I have guaranteed, I have guaranteed movie and comic podcasts through December. I have criterion and movie stuff through next May. Uh, uh, no comics yet. Obviously I got to figure that out, but all I'm saying is I, I did this for my own sanity and I, I did it for your guys's enjoyment. But it just feels nice to know that I have a schedule of what I need to do as opposed to kind of – I kind of felt like I was meandering in the last few episodes of, 
you know, oh, and I get it again, right? Coronavirus, all that stuff, not going to the, the theaters. But part of that is there's an alienation piece there because I can give you a review on a movie and, and trust me, once theaters open up, I will. And probably at that time, I will do, it'll probably be one movie a month, one Criterion movie, one comic book, and then whatever movies I go see in theaters or, or the good ones I go see in theaters. Um, but at least to call out these other ones, because this is, I don't know, I just, it feels like a shift for me and a shift for the podcast to know that we're going to have concrete episodes that are going to be just focusing on one movie, uh, sometimes maybe more, depending on if there's sequels or maybe like a double feature sometimes, who knows, but uh, I'm just excited for HBO Max. I've, I've been an excited and very satisfied with Disney+. Plus. Um, Hulu stepped up their game, uh, adjusting their user interface. I haven't seen it yet though on like my apps, but I saw it on the website when I was looking and I added some movies on there that I've been uh, wanting to see and we'll, we'll try and watch Netflix is Netflix, whatever. I actually found if you go on uh, Netflix's website and you go to movies and instead of the grid format or the list format, you do a grid format. You can actually sort all their movies from A to Z. So you can actually see how many movies are on Netflix because I feel like we never know. But I added some more to my watch list on that. We'll utilize that. And uh, and then Amazon Prime. And so Amazon Prime is kind of a, a throwaway in a sense because uh, there's a lot of stuff that's on Amazon that's on Hulu. Uh, but there's also stuff on Amazon that isn't. So Amazon has, um, what do they have? They've got some of the... I think they have some of the Friday movies. They, no, Amazon has all the Friday movies. I don't think HBO does. HBO has a couple but uh, Amazon has a lot too. And then um, they have some other great ones like The Lighthouse and Midsummer and that sort of stuff. So um, so thank you for that, everyone. For uh, I know, again, I, I haven't spoken to many of you, but just know I'm thinking about you guys all the time. I'm trying to figure out how to make this podcast best for everybody, and I think that's a really good way to do it. And so uh, what I'm going to do, and I'm trying to decide whether I'll do this bef- before or at the end, but... Actually, I think I'm going to just do this before. I'll do this right now. I was thinking, okay, you know, we, we talked on the last podcast about the sort of things that are going on right now, the climate in the country. People are wondering what they can do. Uh, there's certain people who may feel like there's nothing that they can do, and that's uh, – we're not getting into that argument on this podcast. What I want to do, though, is I want to call out some amazing uh, black voices uh, through film – and cool enough, it's free for any of you to do. I just Googled, I said, you know, what, what, what are the, the it's, and it came up websites, Rotten Tomatoes, the 100 best black movies of the 21st century. So obviously there's more, right? There's, there's some good ones out there, ones that are definitely need to be seen, like In the Heat of the Night and, uh, and Do the Right Thing. Uh, but I wanted to call out some of these current ones because a lot of these are really powerful and they're being made by really powerful creators, powerful artists. And again, watching a movie, you know, the argument would be watching a movie is not going to change anything. But like I said in the last podcast, the change starts with you. So the more that you can educate yourself, the more that you can expose yourself to the experiences of others, black, white, doesn't matter. We are all part of the same race, the human race. And if we can continue to learn and grow from each other and and feel and experience the things that others are experiencing, that's going to help us get to another level of understanding. 
and uh, there's no better way to do that than through film. So these movies um, are all movies that I have seen. So I stand by my recommendation of every single one of these. And I'm, I'm running my head through all these. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the, the, I'll, I'll say in terms of my opinions, probably my least favorite on this list is uh, Girls Trip. Which and, and, and we'll just I'll start listing these all off the line as we get to Girls Trip. I'll give a little bit of info. My brother hated that movie. I liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, but it's just, you know, obviously wasn't one of my favorites. But some great movies and, and I'll point out as well, this list is not that good. The the ones that I've pulled from the list are good, but like for example, number one hundred is the help which I love. I actually really like that movie. Uh, I saw that a long time ago with my cousins uh, at Christmas and just really good memory and a really powerful movie. But it is it is the classic green book movie. It's directed by a white man and um, it's all about, you know, it just, there's there's some problematic things with it, but it's a good movie. It's, it's not that it's a bad movie. It's just, to me, that is not a type of – that's not a movie I want to speak on in terms of what you should watch because these – I've picked all, all ones, and I, I hope I did my research right, but all of these are, are written or directed by um, African-Americans and um, starring African-Americans as well. So, uh, okay. So on this list, we've got – okay, Black Dynamite. Uh, that actually is celebrating a 10-year anniversary as well this year, uh, directed by – uh, it says here directed by Sean Murrier and Scott Sanders. That's not true. It is, you know, I'll click on this here and see, but it will tell you exactly who it's directed by. But um, it's uh, not. Okay, cool. Well, I, I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but it is uh, a hilarious movie, and uh, it's a it's a uh, it's sort of a mock up of uh, '70s black exploitation movies. So it is a uh, it's very clever, very smart, and very witty. Uh, but it is it is made as almost like the, a scary movie, the scary movie where it's it's a, a spoof in a sense. But it is really really good, and it makes me laugh every single time. I love it. Uh, we've got scrolling down. Uh, it's Queen and Slim. I apologize, Queen and Slim. Uh, another phenomenal movie. I reviewed that on the podcast a little while ago. Uh, Black Klansman, also fantastic. And I'm just going to read off of my list. Waves. That's again directed by Trey Edward Schultz. I uh, did that podcast on that one. I don't believe he's black, but that is a great movie and a definite one you need to watch. Uh, Dope, which is directed by Rick Famuyiwa from um, Mandalorian. Girls Trip, Thirteenth by Ava DuVernay. That's a really eye-opening documentary on Netflix. Hundred percent need to watch it. Same with Blind Spotting. Blind Spotting is on HBO Max. Fruitvale Station, that's by Ryan Coogler, starring uh, Michael B. Jordan, another really powerful, these are, I, I'm not going to keep saying it, because they're all incredibly powerful movies, uh, I believe that's on Netflix, Fences, I think that's on Amazon, Mudbound, that is a Netflix movie, Sorry to Bother You, that is on Hulu, The Hate You Give, not sure where that is, Dolomite Is My Name, that's Netflix, Creed, and Creed 2 to an extent, but Creed is also by Ryan Coogler. Um, 12 Years a Slave. Holy cow, though. You know, buckle up before you watch that movie because it is intense. So probably 
very comfortable saying that is one of the most intense movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but you, you'll come out the other end uh, stronger. Uh, if Beale Street Could Talk by Barry Jenkins. Gotta check that movie out. Uh, Moonlight by Barry Jenkins, Oscar winner. Get Out and Us by Jordan Peele. Black Panther, also by Ryan Coogler. Oh, here's a couple of other ones I, I added uh, myself. Mal- Malcolm X with Denzel Washington. Great movie, even better book. If you get a chance, read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Great book. Do the Right Thing, Friday with Ice Cube. Great movie. I think I like the second one too. Uh, not better than the first, but definitely better than the third. And then, oh, here's a classic comedy, Blue Streak. That's one of my midnight favorites, I guess you could say. It's classic comedy that always makes me laugh. And then Afro Samurai with uh, uh, Samuel Jackson. That's an animated movie, but that's also very, very, very good. So, uh, in my experience, I would say all of these movies are going to give you a really great and hopefully eye-opening look at uh, just a ton of really powerful black stories. And, uh, yeah, so from there... Swallowing a little bit of sugar in my throat, I started eating some gummy frogs uh, to kind of wake me up, uh, which is funny that you mentioned that uh, because, you know, I've been fi- I had some coffee, but wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice, the world's only 12-hour strong man on the air. For We Love Radio, 108 FM, the last on the dial, but the first in your hearts. And that's the truth, Ruth. That is the opening line from Do the Right Thing. Uh, One of my, uh, almost become one of my favorite movies now. I know I'm probably still in the rush of seeing it, but um, I watched this movie for the first time when I was in college. I was in a film class that I, in hindsight, Uh, So shout out to anyone out there still in college, pursue your dreams. Uh, In hindsight, wish I had taken more film classes, but uh, opened my eyes. Uh, Love this movie. I think this movie is phenomenal. Uh, It's a 10 out of 10, no questions asked, but do the right thing. Uh, I had to analyze it in my film class, and I was reading my notes, and they're so dumb. Like I, I I had no idea what I was talking about back in the day. Uh, it, it's like a paragraph of nonsense uh, that I think we did for a discussion. I'm sure I probably had a test on it, but um, I had not seen Do the Right Thing until last night uh, before that. So it, I, I was lucky in a sense because all of those movies we saw in the theater at my school, so like on a big, big screen. And uh, so I got to see it for the first time on a big screen, but now I got to see it for a second time on a also big screen in uh, 4K Blu-ray from the Criterion Collection with my wife by my side, and it was it was great. We were laughing, we were upset. It's uh, it's it's honestly it's troubling that this movie still carries as much weight as it did back then, if not more so. As we were watching this film, we're like, you got to be kidding me. There's like dialogue ripped right from the front headlines of today, especially with this, especially with what happens at the end. So for anybody who has not seen this movie, stop what you're doing and go see it. I think it's the least that you can do right now, even if you have to stream it. Uh, It's two hours long on the dot and uh, not a single piece of it is wasted. This movie is from 1989 and it is written, produced, and directed by uh, and starring Spike Lee 
and it also stars Danny Aiello, Ossie Davis, Ruby D, Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito, uh, great young uh, performance, Bill Nunn, John Turturro, Paul Benjamin, Frankie Faison, uh, Robin uh, Harris, Joy Lee, which is uh, Spike Lee's sister, and then also Samuel L. Jackson, Rosie Perez in her first role in a film, also Martin Lawrence's first role in a film. So um, a lot of firsts in this in this movie, but uh, just like I said, overall a phenomenal film, and uh, so it's just it's a lot to take in, especially right now. But it's something that needs to be seen because in in a sense it's also an educational it's an educational film in that regard, especially to show you that these things are still happening today. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the whole point at this point I was going to say is full spoilers ahead. Uh, we're going to be talking about this movie, diving deep into this film. And with that said, like I said, I think the most controversial and, and biggest piece of this is the uh, the death of Radio Rahim and subsequent riot at the end of the film. This film is about a small block called bed in New York uh, during the hottest day of the summer. And it's, uh, it's just about, it's a story of a bunch of different black lives along uh, this, this block, uh, which encompasses a pizzeria, Sal's famous pizzeria, that is run by Sal, Italian-American, and his two sons, uh, Vito and Pino. And it also, so it, uh, Sal is the father. Some of those characters I listed, you got Demare, Mother Sister, Buggin' Out, Mookie, that's Spike Lee, Radio Rahim, and uh, Sweet Dick Willie, uh, Jade, Mr. Senior Love Daddy, that's uh, Samuel Jackson, Tina, played by Rosie Perez, and uh, it's literally, it's just a day in the life on the hottest day of the summer that, that ends up encapsulating an ending in a riot. Uh, but it is literally the exact same because the riot is due to something that probably could have been prevented but was 100% escalated by the police who subsequently choke Radio Rahim to death. In the movie, Radio Rahim says, I can't breathe as he's dying. And what's funny is yesterday, while, you know, right before, not before we were watching it, but earlier that day yesterday, Spike Lee released a short film comparing George Floyd to Radio Rahim and using the scenes in the film. Uh, and I haven't seen it. I think I saw maybe it got taken down. But it's just psychotic to me that this movie came out in 1989. Um, literally last year, it would have been the 30-year anniversary and now 31st anniversary of this film. And it is still so relevant. Everything in this film is so relevant. There's an essay in this booklet that talks about... Um, how you know so many things in here just feel like they are you know they're still as affected or effective as today um the the clothes that they wear the uh the things that they do and i'm trying you know kind of going through here but um it's it's just a beautiful film and it's really well shot Uh, everything in the shot has a purpose and is is important there's there's little sort of um symbolism all over the place especially when the first the first thing that's being said is um uh, wake up right the very back of this booklet is it's in huge letters wake up 
to wake up to the truth, wake up to this new world, wake up to these changes. It's time to change. And in his diary, Spike Lee says that was the last thing that he said in the last film he made was wake up. And so he wanted to start this film by saying wake up. Uh, and I found the spot, but uh, and I'm going to read this. This um, will preface by saying this is an essay by uh, his name by Vincent Cunningham, who is pull that spot up too. Vincent Cunningham is a staff writer and co-theater critic for The New Yorker. A former White House staffer, he now teaches at Sarah Lawrence College and lives in Brooklyn. So um, this And this movie came to Criterion, I think, a year or two ago. So even the stuff that he writes about in this booklet, is in this essay, is like spot on for the day. So he says, um, uh, consider Mookie, that's Spike Lee's character, who, among the persona tips most perilously and fruitfully over the border into archetype. Lee's willingness to symbolize this lost, half-charming, most harmless, mostly harmless kid, and along the way to symbolize himself, is perhaps what has kept him, well, both of them, so fresh over the 30 years since Do the Right Thing first appeared in theaters, and has allowed the film to prophecy with such uncanny precision our own time. Mookie's entire look, throwback Dodgers jersey, artfully parted fade, fluorescent shorts, rare-looking Nikes, would be just as on-trend on a skinny black kid in 2019. Plop him down in today's bed or Bushwick or Harlem or Lower East Side and nobody bats an eye. He uses a towel festooned with the classic Knicks logo that has these days made its way back into use. Little wonder, then, that his woes, a kind of ironized alienation, low cash flow, and before long a friend murdered by police, feel just as fresh. So and this was a, a, a rough time, I, I guess, for not necessarily for Spike Lee, but he knew that this movie was going to be controversial. He was actually told that it's multiple times in his riot. Um, it says two, I mean, here's an interesting piece. Um, I mean, it just says two years after Do the Right Thing in 1991, a riot bloomed like a rash in Crown Heights, punctuating tensions between blacks and Jews that rhymed perfectly with the black Italian and to much lesser extent, black Korean strife that Lee sketches. Uh, along with Rodney King, that came out after... Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I got to read this. So, uh, punctuate and, and to a much lesser extent, black Korean strife that Lee sketches. Earlier that same year, on the other side of the continent, Rodney King had been pummeled by a gang of highway cops. Ten years after the film came out in 1999, NYPD officers fired 41 shots at Amadou Diallo, an innocent Guinean immigrant, killing him just after midnight steps away from his own home. Fast forward 25 years from Do the Right Thing to 2014 and a light on Eric Garner, an eerie echo of Rahim, also big of body, also a fixture in his neighborhood, also choked to death on the sidewalk for no reason. Back in 89, some viewers were worried that Lee might provoke black audiences to violence. What a strange and oblivious concern what with reality's steady supply of kindling for the fire. Lee's crucial climactic passage, death, rage, riot, 
is easily the most blankly realistic in his film or in the film and um it's just yeah and so it says here too and there's here's another thing a little excerpt i'll read the most chaotic moments of do the right thing jibe naturally with lines like these from gwendolyn brooks late 60s poem riot because the poor were sweaty and unpretty not like two dainty negroes in winnetka and they were coming toward him in rough ranks in seas in wind sweep they were black and loud and not detainable and not discreet and but it says but the movie also contains an earnest and quite unconcealed yearning for togetherness there are these great scenes that uh, kind of pop in and out and i think what's so cool about this movie is this sort of episodic journey that you're taken on throughout the film there's a again there's a lot of symbolism there's a lot of characters in here that kind of seem to symbolize certain um maybe biblical things or or that sort of nature but there's this episodic quality where you're just walking down the street and then suddenly you're thrust into a conversation that a group of people are having that radio rahim is having with the korean uh shopkeepers or that the three uh, old black guys sitting uh against a bright red backdrop on the sidewalk are chit-chatting about this that and the other and the conversations is what i've read in here are mostly improv which is um, phenomenal you can you can certainly tell in um some of the scenes where you know it almost and spike lee is is definitely at fault because a lot of them are him he's uh you know smiling or it looks like he's about to laugh or break character uh rosie perez as well but the, again this was her first film so um, we can cut her a break but uh but it's just it really felt lived in and and as you go into uh, spike's diary he really wanted that he wanted this neighborhood to feel like it had been lived in and that it had it had life and from there i'm going to kind of dive into some of the bits and pieces that i took from his journal so he said um it's just just interesting here is, is talking about he says it's not this is december 25th 1987 so he hadn't yet started writing the script this is from this is spike lee it's nine in the morning and i'm sitting down to get started on my next project do the right thing i hope to start shooting next august i want the film to take place over the course of one day the hottest day in the year in brooklyn new york the film has to look hot too the audience should feel like it's suffocating like in the heat of the night um he said uh he said i like this is what i really liked it's been my observation that when the temperature rises beyond a certain point people lose it little incidents can spark major conflicts bump into someone on the street and you're liable to get shot a petty argument between husband and wife can launch a divorce proceeding the heat makes everything explosive including the racial climate of the city racial tensions in the city are high as it is but when the weather is hot forget about it this might be at the core of a vicious climax for the film for the film uh which it is he ends up kind of doing that of turning turning it into a climax so um let's see if i find the next one okay cool um but yeah so the so it's kind of just about that and eventually we find out mookie um spike lee's character he works at the pizzeria with with the italians and they are 
I don't know what the word would be. They're the the son. One of the sons is definitely racist, but the father is sort of racist. But he's that nice kind of guy that um, wants you to be kind. And there's like a, there's a really great conversation that he has with his son at one point, talking about how being as mad as he is about the world and about black people is just not productive. And um, you know it's it's only going to make him miserable. But then obviously when the rioting starts they are they are partially to blame for sure so uh what happens though is and mookie's hilarious i mean he he's like the delivery guy and so he keeps using as an excuse he has like girl girls this is in the in the diary but it's like i want him to have like girls call the pizza place so that they can get deliveries for him so he can visit them and so he like takes like hour-long deliveries and they always get so mad at him when he returns and he's like i don't know what to tell you and it's, it's just pretty funny but so what happens is uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character, uh, Buggin' Out, comes into the pizza place one day, and there is a wall of fame on the on the wall, and it is all Italian Americans, and he says, you know, why are there no why are there no brothers on the wall? And he says, well, you if you'd like, you could get your own shop and put your own people on the wall, uh, but this is who who's going on my wall. It's only Italian Americans, and he gets super mad and decides he wants to boycott. Uh, Sal's famous and no one wants to boycott it with him because they love the place all the entire black community loves it because they've grown up on his pizza and he talks about this too he's like I'm so proud that I've I've fed these people for for decades and you know they've grown up on my pizza and that means a lot to me and so it's, there's a bit of sweetness there but it's bit, it's for sure bittersweet because there's another character named Radio Rahim who uh, the camera work on him is fantastic. It's it's always zoomed in. It's always hyper-focused to make him look larger than life. And he already is. He's a really big guy. Uh, but he carries around a giant radio that, sing, that keeps constantly on loop playing Fight the Power. And uh, super cool. Uh, but he, and he actually has a really great scene. And, and, you know, obviously I learned it in the film class, but you don't have to be an expert to see it at the same time. in, in my film class, we had also watched this movie called the night of the hunter, which I'm, is going to be another one of the criterion movies, but in that movie, and I, I talked about it in a prior podcast. So actually I don't think I will make that a criterion, but, um, the whole idea of love and hate, and he's got, he's got love and hate, uh, L-O-V-E, it was with this hand that Cain laid his brother low, and, uh, kind of goes through that whole diatribe, the preacher, well, in, uh, he pays homage to that in this movie, and Radio Rahim has two of, uh, he has two of those four finger knuckle, uh, what are they called, brass knuckles, uh, one of them says love and one of them says hate. And there's a, there's an episode piece of the movie where he's explaining this to somebody. He says, let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil, hate. It was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love, these five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. And again, he uh, Spike Lee reworked it so it, it sounds a little more hip, which I, I, I kind of like. I think it's cool. Uh, the right hand, the hand of love, the story of life is this, static. One hand is always fighting the other hand, and the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on. Stop the presses. The right hand is coming back. Yeah, he's got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Ooh, it's a devastating right, and hate is hurt. He's down. Left hand, hate KO'd by love. Uh, and he's, he essentially explains that they, they coexist, hate and love. And there's always a constant battle going on 
but love will always trump over hate. So cool and such a great call out to uh, Nida the Hunter. But to have Radio Rahim be the guy to do it is so cool. So he's he's essentially throughout the movie walking around um, playing his boombox. Comes into the store one day, boombox Blair and says, can I get two slices? And he says, turn that music off. And he's like, I said, can I get two slices? And he says, I'm not serving you until you turn that music off. And uh, so eventually he does, gets his slices and leaves. But at this point, you can tell there's there's some there's some bad blood. And so eventually, Bugging Out gets <clears throat> gets to Radio Rahim, telling him about Sal's, and they're pumping each other up. Yeah, let's do it. And so they go to Sal's, and they're like, "That's it. We're." And this is after Sal's has closed. And so they get in there. They're like, "We're boycotting Sal's. You need to put some brothers on the wall." Um, blaring his music, and so Sal's fed up, very provoked pulls out his bat and smashes to pieces radio's um uh radio and he says i just killed your radio and uh and so then radio grabs him raheem grabs him and throws him out of the the store basically and they start fighting in the streets and a big mob shows up and the police show up and the police pull radio raheem off they don't do anything to sal the police officer who is actually the actor is the son of sal in real life david aiello um, he, uh, he's, he's holding his baton up to his neck and holding him back and chokes him out. And, and then they pretend like he was playing dad. They're like, get up, you're fine. And then they try to take him away before anyone notices, but everyone notices and everyone starts losing their minds. And Mookie, uh, Spike Lee grabs a trash can and says Howard Beach and throws it into the window. Actually, I have to double check if he actually says Howard Beach. That's something that um, is a, a current event going on that Spike talks about multiple times in his uh, in his diary that he really wanted to have a shout out for in here. It was just another another incident where stuff like this happened, and uh, and so because of that, then everyone riots. They burn down the pizzeria. Uh, interesting kind of like burning down the police precinct in in minneapolis uh and then the the epilogue is the next morning (laughs) mookie shows up and he's like hey i need to get paid and sal's like outside the thing in shambles he's like no no like it's not even gonna pay for my window he's like man i need to get paid and so he gives him money it's just it's a great great message the entire film but i'm gonna i'm gonna dive into a couple pieces here in the um in this diary that i really wanted to share um, where was it? Uh, telling it to the judge. I want to add it here. Oh, this part I really liked. Spike Lee does not like Woody Allen at all. The neighborhood will have a feel of the different cultures that make up the city, specifically Black American, Puerto Rican, West Indian, Korean, and Italian American. Unlike Woody Allen's portraits of New York, <laughs> which is like, oh, 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 shots, shots fired. Uh, we're going to, you know, batten down the hatches, which is fine. Hey, I, uh, I need to start re-examining my views on Woody Allen. I've never been a fan of him only because I think he's creepy as hell, but I really like Midnight in Paris, though I haven't seen it in a while. And so I'm going to need to rewatch it, but I've seen quite a few of his other movies. They've never really sat with me. I know my brother does enjoy, uh, some of them. I know he likes, uh, was it Vicky Cristina Barcelona and maybe one other one, but I thought Midnight in Paris was good, but also, you know, it's probably worth it to watch it again. But I pay this like I don't think he casts black people in any of his movies, which is kind of messed up. So, um, okay, so here here's interesting. This is where the other thing he do- documents a lot in his diary is the issues at Paramount. Uh, I believe it's Paramount, and basically 
he's trying to get this movie financed and he's trying to get this movie made and no one really wants to make it because they know how controversial it's going to be and he knows how controversial it's going to be but um he's got this spot here he's talking about my first two choices are paramount pictures and touchstone uh he says oh yeah so he says um he he wants to do paramount but why and since paramount communications inc owns the knicks I might finally get the season tickets to games I need and deserve. Uh, I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Like he's wanting them Knicks tickets. That's all right, man. Hey, you gotta you gotta get it. Um, oh, but here and I I made this my Instagram post for Blackout Tuesday, uh, quoting this piece of it. But he's talking about. Um, he says. Um, uh, yeah, it says. Uh, he says, while I, was, while I was in the grocery today, I heard a radio newscast that two black youths had been beaten up by a gang of white youths in Bensonhurst. The two black kids were hospitalized. They were collecting bottles and cans when they got jumped. This happened on Christmas night. Just the other day, some black kids fired up a white cab driver in Harlem. New York City is tense with racial hatred. Can you imagine if these incidents had taken place in the summer? On the hottest day of the year, I'd be a fool not to work the subject of racism and to do the right thing. The way I see it, we'll introduce the subject very lightly. People will expect another humorous film from Spike Lee, but I'll catch them off guard. Then I'll drop the bomb on them. They won't be prepared for it. And ain't that the truth? The riot doesn't start. That whole thing doesn't start until probably the last 20 minutes of the movie. The rest of it's super chill. Um, if a riot is the climax of the film, what will cause the riot? Take your pick. An unarmed black child shot, the cops say he was reaching for a gun. A grandmother shot to death by cops with a shotgun. A young woman charged with nothing but a parking violation dies in police custody. A male chased by a white mob onto a freeway is hit by a car. It's funny how the script is evolving into a film about race relations. This is America's biggest problem, Always has been, since we got off the boat, always will be. I've touched upon it in my earlier works, but I haven't yet dealt with it head-on as a primary subject. Uh, oh, and here it is. Yes, yeah, so the he says, I need to use my juice to get the testimony of Cedric Sanford and other key witnesses in the Howard Beach case. Uh, we're not only, he's talking, he starts talking about a bunch of people, but um, yeah, he says, this is a hot one. The studios might not want to touch this film. I'll know, I know I'll come up against some static from the white press, They'll say I'm trying to incite a race riot. Um, so he's he's still in the process of kind of trying to figure out what uh, you know what the the movie is gonna look like and all that sort of stuff. Let's see if we can. What's the next one in line? Is it? Oh, it's this one. Okay, cool. So a little farther down. This is uh, April fifth, nineteen eighty-eight. This is the funniest part. This is the funniest piece because then I, f I started following this like a soap opera and I, I imagine you would too if you heard this and read this in the diary um basically throughout this diary um spike wanted to cast robert de niro as sal he's like this guy would be perfect for the role but he called kept calling him was it rob no bob he calls him bob he's like bob would be perfect for this role bob's been wanting to work with me for a while he's been waiting for the right thing he's like and i i uh and so then he starts going, you know, like I sent, I sent him, I've been trying to meet with him. We keep meeting and talking, but nothing's really happening like classic movie stuff. Um, but he says, you know, I sent him the script and 
Oh yeah, I gave I gave Bob De Niro the script at lunch. We left it at that. No promises, no nothing. He said he would get back to me soon. That's all. No mo, no less. You know Bob's gonna be straight. And uh, and then further on though, he says th- um, he ca- he talks about casting Rosie Perez, and he says. Uh, Thank you, Jesus. Her name is Rosie Perez. Not only is she from Brooklyn, she's from Fort Greene, my neighborhood. Help me, Jesus. I'm seriously considering her for the role of Tina. She's definitely what I'm looking for. A fine young ghetto babe. Rosie is Puerto Rican, but she looks black. I know it's early, but I'm stuck on her for the role of Tina. We talked on the phone again last night. Um, but this was Rosie Perez's first film, and, and it's funny. She was just in uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, she was in that really great uh, – I watched that documentary uh, called Have a Good Trip on Netflix, and she was in that. And she talks in the documentary. She was like, I never did drugs. I never drank. Someone actually drugged her at a bar. It was like a weird bar that um, served drinks that were laced with drugs, with acid. Um so there was like we don't do drugs here we don't have there's no alcohol like we'll just give you a drink and she didn't know that because she was you know, didn't know and so she's like dancing around but she was like the only drug she said the only drug i knew was dancing she was she apparently loved to dance and it was so funny when we started this movie i didn't even i forgot and didn't really know that rosie was in this film immediately the opening credits of this movie of do the right thing are uh rosie perez dancing in the street pumping her fists fight the power while she's you know doing these crazy dances immediately my wife's like that's rosie perez or that's the girl she's like that's the lady from um the the documentary you watched i was like ah, i don't know about that and we were like she's like can you just check i was like yeah so i looked i'm like yep you're right wow i did not know that so it's like the synchronicities crazy but here we go april 5th 1988 yesterday we heard from bob de niro he passed on the script he said he's done roles like sal before and doesn't want to repeat it he did, however, turn me on a guy who he feels is perfect for the role of Sal. The guy, he says, once owned a pizzeria on Mulberry Street in Little Italy. Uh, I have to decide whether we're going to go for a star to play Sal or a strong but relatively unknown actor. I'm hesitant to go after another big name after Bob De Niro turned us down. Besides, our budget may not allow it. Um, and what's great, too, is he's talking about uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who uh, he calls Larry. Lawrence seems like a little bit of a priss back in the day obviously i have nothing but love for lawrence fishburne don't get me wrong i love i grew up on him and as cowboy curtis but um and and obviously in in the matrix but he wanted to cast him as radio rahim lawrence wouldn't do it and he specifically told him he wouldn't do it because he feels like he deserves leading man roles now this was after being in spike lee's um thing i wonder did i i I hope i uh l-o-v-e yeah yeah okay i just i i got the part where he says i want to pay homage to night of the hunter which was cool but he's got a spot in here where he was like yeah and i I didn't mark it because i didn't really want to you know besmirch lawrence fishburne's name but he's basically like look lawrence fishburne can do whatever he wants but he's not a leading man he was barely a leading man in in my movie um if he thinks that's what he he deserves good for him but good luck and so it's like yeah you know he kind of got to that right in in matrix i suppose but um you know whatever right but what was cool is the end of this uh he has a the last little bit in here is just um just kind of cool oh uh, oh here here here's a great one this is actually pretty cool um i'm gonna 
yeah, yeah. Okay, so he says, when this film is released, people are going to make a big deal out of the fact that this is my first film to use white actors. I know I'm going to hear the question again and again. Spike, is there a difference between directing black actors and white actors? And I'll answer, sir, I think that's a stupid-ass question. I have yet to read an interview in which Woody Allen has been asked why he doesn't use black people in his films, but I've interrogated all the time about not using white actors, and now that I've used white actors, people are going to want to know what the big difference is. There is none. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, oh, so he's talking about, so Ozzie Davis, who plays the Demare, and uh, Ruby, Ruby D, who plays uh, Mother Sister, they're married in real life, and he immediately casted them first. I think he had them in his prior film. But he says, uh, they have me dying. I never seen, I've never seen two people in love like that before. I'm sure they have their share of arguments. All couples do. But being married all this time, working together, and still in love? Phew! If I could have a marriage like that, I gotta talk to them and get the secret. There probably isn't any secret. Just a lot of hard work. And then the, the final, I'm just gonna read this final piece because I think a good, good statement on Spike Lee's kind of character and, and the movie and, and what anyone out there who is wanting to become a filmmaker no matter the color of your skin why you should pursue it listen to the greats like spite lee it is a great pleasure to make this film in brooklyn in bedford stuyvesant you know spike you're lucky i'm young black and doing what i want to do that's why i say my prayers every night i'm doing what makes me the happiest that's making films i've said this so often before but why not again 95% of the people on this planet work all of their lives, get up every morning, and drag themselves to a job they hate, a job they really despise. They end up going to the grave that way. It's sad but true. I'm one of the lucky ones, but that doesn't mean I go around singing, don't worry, be happy. Sometimes on set, while we're setting up for a shot, I look around and watch everyone working. I see all these young, talented black artists and technicians, and I feel just fine. It's a good feeling to be in a position to hire people who need jobs, people who deserve jobs. Of course, we can't hire everyone, but we're doing what we can. And that is the last. And then again, the final piece and page of this. And uh, I got to call this out too because I think this may be as a, as a fun gig um, about the transfer. Criterion puts in a transfer on all of their movies. They make them better than what they are. Whether that's true or not, I, I personally believe it. I have to believe it for the amount of money I pay for these movies. But um, wake up, guys. Wake up. Here's the, here's the transfer. Do the Right Thing is presented in its original aspect ratio of 185-1. Black bars at the top and bottom of the screen are normal in this format. The new digital transfer was supervised by cinematographer Ernest Dickerson and was created in 16-bit 4K resolution on a laser graphics director film scanner from the 35mm original camera negative. Thousands of instances of dirt, debris, scratches, splices, and warps were manually removed using MTI Films DRS, while Digital Vision's Phoenix was used for jitter, flicker, and small dirt. The 5.1 surround sound soundtrack was remastered in 2009 by NBC Universal Studio Post Audio Operations from the original 35mm 4-track stems. It was supervised by sound designer Skip Leavesay and approved by director Spike Lee. Um, yeah, just, just cool to always see the things that they do. Also, cool shout out to me and my family, um, Spike Lee's attorney in this film or not in this film, in his real life, his attorney is um, 
His name is, I think it was Alan Klein, K-L-E-I-N, same exact last name. So maybe I am related, I was about to say, maybe I'm related to uh, um, uh, Spike Lee. No, I'm not really, no, but uh, I'm trying to find what his exact name was. But his last name was Klein, same spelling, no questions there. The other last and final shout out is costumes. Who, do, who would you guess did the costumes for this movie? None other than Ruth Carter. The same person who did the costumes and the set design for Black Panther. How cool is that to see her transition? And boy, do the costumes look great in this story. So, that is Do the Right Thing, which is, in fact, the uh, kind of the main tenet of this film, the main tenet of how we should all be living our lives, doing the right thing. Comes from the quote in the movie from Demare talking to Mookie. He says, Doctor? He says, Come on, what? What? The mayor says, always do the right thing. Mookie says, that's it. He says, that's it. I got it. I'm gone. And he leaves. Um, yeah, there's just this, I love this movie and I loved it even more the second time. And I, it's one of those things where it just, it, it certainly felt good to watch it and, and, um, kind of feel, I suppose, a little more connected to some of the things that are going on right now. I know that's a really weird way of saying it, but, um, it, it, and in that regard too, it's incredibly sad and disheartening that those sort of things are still going on today. But these films, hopefully as time goes on, are going to keep bringing more awareness to more people so that they keep standing up, they keep rising up and, um, standing up for what is right for all people. And that is where I'm going to leave this. So like I said, like Demare said, do the right thing. And for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we'll see you at the movies.